0: Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. This is a special show. It's December 5th, 2017. We'll be talking about farmhouse breweries, and I've got some friends coming from Portland, Oregon. Uh, wolves and people, and uh, but they're on their way. And right now, our other guest, Josh Bernstein, one of my favorite beer writers, is in the house. Oh, hey. All hey, right, hey, man. We're going to talk a little bit about, about what he's been writing about and what's going on in, in the beer scene in, in the area. And a big shout out to Union Bear Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. And follow us at at beer underscore sessions. There's a nice Instagram photo of uh, wolves and people when they first came here two years ago with with Travel Portland at hanging out at McSorley. So uh, that's cool. So Josh, great to see you, man. I was really proud of your recent article in the Times. Uh, It was about brews and and coffee. Yeah, was two two kinds
3: of buzzes. (laughs) Yeah, the idea was that, uh, so I was traveling out in uh, Flint, Michigan about about three months ago doing another story, and I was at a brewery called Tenacity. I noticed they just opened up a, a roastery and a coffee shop in there, and I was like, that's a really interesting thing. So folks could roll up there at uh, you know, 7 a.m., get a donut made down the road, get a great coffee made with beans roasted on site. And so then the more I started thinking about that, I started looking around the country, and I noticed this was not an outlier. There was this, this sort of a movement. Uh, Modern times in San Diego is really pushing it forward. Canning cold brew, having a coffee program in the brew house. Uh, you're watching, like, who? <laughs> and then uh, I'm trying to... You know, I wrote this sto- As a writer, you write stories and you totally forget exactly what you've written two weeks later. But then, uh, you know, Hoop Hearted in Columbus is doing that as well. And what, what I think this moment happens about is you have these tap rooms and then you get people in there at noon, one, two, three o'clock, and that's great. But what happens in this space? At 8 a.m. So it's a way to get people in the breweries earlier in the day. And it's a way that you've got this canning line you spend a ton of money on. And then if you can coffee, you have a way to sort of maximize your money on there, too. And there's really a big crossover between the uh, coffee world and the beer world. If you like a good cup of coffee, chances are you like a good cup of beer. I mean, you, you like flavor. That's where you're kind of hunting out.
2: Great, man. Well, uh, Josh, I really appreciate the work you're doing, uh, as always, and uh, check it out. The great New York Times article that Josh just wrote. But uh, everyone else is in the room now, so we're kind of going to start the show all over I was again. a filler. Just <laughs> filler. I was <laughs> like, just talk.
3: Hey, so, um, you guys,
2: let's go around. So, everyone introduce themselves. We're starting over. So.
3: Okay. Yeah. Oh, hey. I'm Josh <laughs> Brunchy. <Bernstein. laughs> I, just, I just filled up the last three minutes of radio silence as Jimmy stared at me. All right.
4: <laughs> well done. I'm Christian DiBenedetti. Uh, we just jumped out of a cab and uh been visiting the city for the last few days and
2: and great I, ju- I was just saying that the last time i saw you you were out with the travel portland crew with uh, commons and gigantic and occidental brewing and we uh, had, a, had a, did a show and we did a photo at mcsorley's which is on instagram right now that was pretty great yeah but i'm so proud of you with wolves and people and we're going to talk a lot about that and farmhouse breweries on the show
5: today and you brought along one of your new buddies that's right oh, yeah yeah i'm evan watson of plan b farm brewery and uh, it turns out there are a lot of people in the city you got here, Jimmy, well, it took us a little bit to come in, but thanks for covering, Josh. Yeah, I
3: do what I do. say right. words.
2: <laughs> well welcome, you know, welcome back, uh, Christian and, and Evan, too. Um, you know, Christian, I know you've been a journalist, and that's how, how I knew you, and Josh knows you, but I really want to talk more about wolves and people, the farmhouse aspect of your brewery. So. Okay. tell yeah. us about it. I know it's a family farm. You, you've got grow like hazelnuts. Yeah,
4: yeah, so uh, Wolves and People is a farmhouse brewery based on the on the farm where I grew up, which is uh, outside of Portland, Oregon, 21 miles from town. And uh, after a, um, a lot of years of just talking about it and dreaming about it, I went home. I had lived in New York for nine years, moved out in the end of uh, 2009 to uh, start getting organized. And then 2016, in May, we opened up the brewery and uh, really small still, um... We're out in the wine country, and a lot of people come to visit us who are also visiting wineries. And uh, we focus on saison, sour beers, wood-aged beers, and a lot of uh, a lot of beers that you know fall under that farmhouse kind of uh, you know banner, if you will. And we grow a lot of things that go in the beer. So from Dolberts to figs and plums and uh, this and that. And so I'm here this week to introduce beer to New York. We shipped out a whole pallet of beer. And uh, so in the next uh, four weeks, there's going to be some beer going on draft and in bottle shops.
3: So does it feel like you've kind of come full circle? that You know, you left town as a beer writer, you come back as a brewer.
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of surreal in a way to go. I went into the Blind Tiger, which is a, a place I love and spent a lot of time in over the years. And uh, to go in there and have some... Um, to, to have some beer there, and uh, it's just like, it's oh, that, that's going to be a little bit of a gusher. I hope that's, <laughs> that's not too big of a problem. It's, um, yeah, it feels good, though. Um, I learned a lot about beer here in the city, you know, and uh, great beer friends. Yeah. And uh, beer friends in the industry and a lot of people who supported me over the years and then helped me get going as a beer writer. So it's nice to be back. And, you know, uh, there's so much cool stuff going on here. I haven't been here for two years, and it's like a different beer scene almost. Just a
2: quick mention of the beers. I'm I'm drinking what's on tap at Roberta's right now, the Melvin IPA. They always have a great selection of uh, beer on on draft, and I'm enjoying that. And
3: we're drinking the Rockaway Brewing uh, Hellas. Great. It's good.
2: And then, uh, Evan, so you, know, yeah. so you guys are kind of in the category of farmhouse breweries. Yeah. You guys, it's funny, because I think that Christian knows everybody in New York, but you, you haven't been here for, what, five years or something?
4: I uh, left in the end of 2009, so i yeah. getting old. So, oh, yeah. you, so
5: you guys met actually through, what, some conference? Yes, we did, Jimmy. The National Honey Board. Hosted, uh, they generally host a, a conference for for brewers. I just wanted to hear you say that, man. <laughs> say that again, please. The National Honey Board, that part? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I was gonna make a joke that, J- Josh, better watch out, and uh, he better stay in the city. Or you're gonna come back a brewer.
3: Oh God, is, is that a good
5: thing? I think it's a no, good thing, it's right? No, it's a
3: terrible thing. It's a terrible.
5: Game. No, it's a good thing. Uh, yeah, we met in in Austin, Texas. Uh, generally, the National Honey Board. Uh, Provides uh, a, a conference for for brewers and and bakers in St. Louis. Is that right, Christian? Uh, yeah, th- that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, I guess, they had befriended the folks at Jester King Brewery, another one of our iconic uh, farmhouse breweries in in the United States. And uh, we met and hit it off. Um, Christian uh, was uh, spinning yarns uh, around the bar. We had some cocktails and. <laughs> And talked about how with a single stroke of the pen, he took down the entire Orval empire. Uh,
4: that's a real stretch. That's definitely <laughs> a stretch. Joking. I probably, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I might have embellished a little bit. But, no, um,
5: there's a great story about, uh, Christian's obviously a writer before, and, uh, and we we're both... One of your first articles, right? It was. Fans yeah, of was Orval and... Uh, And it it was just a funny story. Let's go to
2: the visual. You guys look like farmers. Now, Christian, you left a kind of a fancy New York writer. And now you both have like the flannel plaid
4: shirt. They're only wearing (laughs) flannel, Jimmy. You both have like country twang. It's cold outside. It was a sweaty
5: cab ride over here. I'll tell you that with all the flannel in the back. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
4: yeah, Well, um, what can I say? Like, it's been beautiful since I've been here and not, not cold and rainy, which is nice. Um, yeah, I mean, being here and being back and then seeing the beer scene and going around, I've been to so many cool spots in the last two days, and the beer lists are pretty much unrecognizable to me um, from new breweries. We just paused at threes for a hot second, and before that I was visiting, you know, like Proletariat and all, you know, all these great um, as-is, all these other beer bars in town that are doing neat stuff. So it's been great to be back, like super, super fun
2: great let's go back so wolves and people Josh a lot of questions for you we're going to be talking for a long time but um, you know wolves and people is your family farm it sounds very old world to me I I picture like another idyllic time where you know you went off out into the world and you went back home and uh, tell us about that journey and and when when you decided that that was what you're going to do have a farmhouse brewery on your family farm.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, I mean, I really always wanted to, to do this and um, from my travels in Belgium back uh, after college, I was lucky to like, spend some time in Europe and, you know, visiting cool old breweries, Lambic Breweries, the Wild Ale Breweries that are so revered today and I, I, I wanted to, you know, take my you know, very, very basic home brewing skills someday and do my own brewery, but I hadn't really put two and two together about, you know, a farmhouse, uh, actually using the barn, for example, on our, on our farm as the place for the brewery. I kind of, I had imagined some more modern building or something. And then after touring around in Belgium and realizing, wait, we have an old barn and maybe that's perfect. So, but then it was 20 years, uh, of time before I could get it really uh get it open and it took a long time a lot of organized uh, organization raising money obviously transitioning from being uh working travel and beer rider to running brewery it was a, frankly a really hard transition you know but uh i had a lot of support and back in 2000 so about 12 13 i uh, found an old brew house uh, the old heater allen system they're a great lager brewery and they were expanding so managed to get a get a down payment together, and, and then just start getting organized. And then I've been really lucky to work with some excellent people. Uh, great brewers, taught me everything I know now. And uh, a, a year ago, we opened, a, a year and a half ago, uh, with about eight or nine beers. And since then, we've uh, released about 70, 75 beers, about um, half a dozen, in, or about a dozen, excuse me, in package, in bottles and cans. And uh, I have one full-time assistant and uh, And that's it, so we're we're tiny, but um, trying to grow a little bit
3: and uh, experiment and have fun you know opening up uh, opening up on your family property has all these sort of romantic connotations you're continuing this generational generational thrust, but opening up on an old property has its own challenges. So how, what was it like turning the family farmstead into a sort of functioning brewery?
4: Yeah, I mean, I never knew how much I would have to learn from weird YouTube videos about like <laughs> how to deal with septic and, you know, all the all the kind of hack construction that we had to do. I mean, the, the barn is leaning over. It was built in 1912 and it's on the National Historic Registry as well. So you can't really change the appearance, but uh, we had to go inside and kind of from the inside out. Um, re, you know, upgrade the interior the si- to to reach the seismic code, so it's safe to work in and have customers in, and that was a, an education. And it, you know, it was, it's really like the pushing the rock up the hill thing because. One day we would learn. Uh, you know, it seemed like we would finish some project, some challenge, and then learn learn what else is still out there. And so it's kind of still ongoing. The barn feels like kind of like a member of our family now, and we're we're working on it, and you know, getting it up to speed and opening up new little parts of it, and, and improving it as we go.
3: Nice. And Evan, you guys also took over, and it wasn't a family property. you took over an old facility in Poughkeepsie and turned that into sort of your You've done your, done your dream homework. too. Yeah, I have. We interview, I interviewed you years ago. You try totally oh, forget. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
5: When you used to interview porn stars. I did. But you that, know, that, you know, that, was, that was like 01. <laughs> See, I've you done already? my but homework you had, as well. But you did take over. It was an old
0: farm. Yes, sir.
5: It stem. was a uh, um, uh, the original farming population, uh, family farm, 500 acres total. Not our farm. Our petition is uh, 25 acres. But the Underhill family uh, had five large farms, and they fed the, the queen city, the Poughkeepsie, New York, and as um, development grew and, and urban sprawled and, and cul-de-sacs moved in, strangely, this little part of uh, in the back of Poughkeepsie was left alone, and we were able to, to get a piece of property for very little money, but then uh, had to put in all infrastructure, all kind of electric, and uh, tore down a, a house from the early 1800s that had a tree growing through it. Uh, five bedroom prize of the of the farm, but uh, we had to take it down and we, we've done a lot of work uh, mainly renovating a barn from the mid1800s it's three stories. And uh, in the, when, <laughs> when there was a fire in the house, the last resident had moved out to the barn. Uh, he was a crazy uh, Irishman <laughs> off the boat named John who used to run into town naked. Our current mayor, Rob, uh, was a police officer at the time. The first time he came up to see the brewery, he's like, Oh, yeah, we used to drop off Crazy John <laughs> nude in the back of my police car into this barn. So when are you going to make the Crazy John beer? <laughs> uh, I don't know. All I, of her beers. I, well, then
2: how about crazy. this? So, so is there some... Something about making beer on a farm that's different than making beer in a city. Oh, certainly, yeah.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, as he said, I mean, the infrastructure thing is a challenge. Get over that. Start making beer. you got to have a system that works for you, and place to put all the you know the boring stuff the wastewater and all those things but the thing that i love most about our situation is the the closeness that we have to the stuff we're growing on the farm and then what we can get locally so uh for example there's a, a farmer up the road uh her place is called Sunshower hill and um someone who actually came and played uh with my uh, brothers and i when we were little kids and you know we don't remember each other but she she you know came as a kid, and. Uh, she came to the brewery one day and said, hey, you know, I, I used to come here. Now I uh, have my own little organic farm up the hill, and here's what I have. Let me, let me give you a list of the things that I have and uh, a lot of things that we don't grow. And now we keep in close touch, and she'll just call and say, hey, you know what? I've got, you know, four flats of uh, golden raspberries. Uh, do you want to take a look? And then let's just bring them down, you know, and it's
5: always beautiful. So we just incorporate that as soon as we possibly can. And are some of those things in this beer? I taste like a lavender, or herbaceous, uh, lemon quality?
4: You know, this beer actually is a, it's a Saison aged on gin barrels. Oh. Um, and herbaceous, uh, so yeah. that's It's the herbs, yeah. It's definitely the... The um, botanicals? The botanicals, yeah. What's the name through. of the beer, Christian? Uh, so we... We, our, our, uh, we don't have names. Yeah, well, no, it does. Um, this beer we call Gin Stinctive. Um, Instinctive Travels is our... It was our first saison that we uh, brought out when we first opened, and we've we've made it in multiple iterations. And then uh, one day we parked uh, a full batch in a bunch of gin barrels from Ransom Distillery, which is a, a distillery near near us. Uh, an incredible operation that's been around for a long time.
3: Their Old Tom is terrific.
4: Yeah, the Old Tom Gin is uh, something everyone should seek out if they're interested. So um, it's about it's been about a year. And uh, this one has a funny label on it because it was sort of labeled for uh, some of our Seller society backers, crowdfunding backers. Um, but we're bringing the beer back in a you know in a, in a larger or a normal batch.
2: And then Evan, for you, yes. you know, again making beer on the farm.
5: Oh, it's uh, you know, like people say, uh, oh, I love your Instagram account. <laughs> uh, and I and I have like my buddy Derek, who you've had on the podcast, Dillinger, is actually a great Ken photographer, Falls, yeah. yeah, and a great uh, a great photographer, great writer, just like you guys. Well, you know, something like you guys. But uh, <laughs> he uh, he
3: he takes actual phot- photographer,
5: uh, you know, uh, photographs of, of his farm with re- a real, you know, DSL. Uh, whatever. I don't know anyone.
3: Oh, not just not just a flip cam. Yeah. Flip so phone. I'm just using
5: my phone. But what happens is. Uh, like i just it's not it's not stainless steel and cement so like i just take a picture of what i'm existing in constantly which is perpetually inspirational yeah. and uh and i you know in having access to the ingredients and and just like taking a break from from mashing in and just walking through my field of winter rye that's coming up really great right now i's like i don't know it's 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 relaxing um it's It's inspirational from ingredient base, but also in in, you know in in terms of um, a sense of place and and feeling. Yeah,
2: that's awesome. Great start. I'm glad you guys made it in time for the show. (laughs) Great start to this. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
3: Let's do it. Mm.
0: In 1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalogue of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as THE craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the
2: Heritage Radio Network. Hey, last night we had a great Heritage Radio Network first annual fundraiser at uh, Brooklyn Botanical Garden. Thanks to everybody. It was really great turnout. I want to give a big shout-out to one of our co-hosts and buddies, Chris Kuzme uh, of Fement About It. His fifth Hammer Brewery in Queens is open, and he served a honey... Uh, a brown ale that was really great and sessionable. So that's an intro to uh, Josh. Wanted to ask a question about hives and honey.
3: Yeah, of these guys. I think with Christian, Christian talks about like all the uh, all the fruit botanicals, everything available to him, and that's sort of his terroir, what he can incorporate into his beer. So Evan, for you, what do you kind of take from Poughkeepsie and kind of make your own? Uh,
5: well, on top of growing quite a lot this year, um, we we also. Are, are working with the farm Poughkeepsie Farm Project, which is a part of the Vassar brothers Vassar College uh, farms, and the Vassar brothers matthew Vassar they they built that city. My daughter was born in Vassar Hospital, and they were brewers, which is an interesting uh, connection as well but they have this beautiful farm because it's um, it 's supported by the community but also has some internal funding and government funding it 's just it's, uh, ideal place and and we go, and we're CSA members there and um, We do we use a lot of their ingredients. I mean, we're currently I'm, I'm only brewing beers with uh, malt uh, grain grown from Ben Dobson at Stonehouse Farms uh, Near Red Hook, New York. He was, he's done a TED talk about carbon sequestration And he's one of our greatest organic farmers in the country and so we just—I use uh, his um, uh, six-row barley for all the beers now. Um, it's it's floor malted by uh, Dennis Nessel at Germantown Beer Farms, and then uh, all, all the adjuncts are also stuff his, you don't his, know. Christian. His his grains. Well, the uh, I'm just—I'm just
4: sitting here in awe of what Evan does at Plan B, because I mean, <laughs> that, to the level of uh, commitment it takes to get floor malted barley locally. And then I'm I hope you'll tell the story about about your yeast too, because that's just so awesome. That's one of the big things we like bonded over is talking about uh yeast and his whole process. So I mean and the beers are so outstanding. So Well you've um, got
3: Sebastian, right? Yeah, I mean that's a
4: plum yeast and it's uh, slow and lazy and is idiosy- that what's f-
5: idiosyncratic. Fermenting these, Christian. Uh, there
4: is Sebastian in here, but the main the main situation in these two beers we call amigos and it's a house a house sour culture. All you, you know, all the Brett, all the all the uh, all the dregs together. It's that a, it's, it's fizzy like a soda.
2: End. Is is there? Is that because of the the gin barrels or that's- uh,
4: Good question. You know, it's I've been. It's been bopping around in my backpack for uh, about three hours as I made my way across town into Brooklyn. So it's part of it, but um, yeah, bottle conditioned and um, a slow voyage. Of, of, yeah, a little bit of a voyage, and uh, the other beer is a is a darker saison. But you know, it, I think it expresses a lot of um, you know kind of uh, vibrancy with bit, big carbonation, big volumes right. of CO two, and that comes from bottle condition. And
2: let's just go back to I think where Josh was going with, and how you guys met, talking about hives and and and. Honey.
3: Yeah,
4: I was just curious, like how yeah.
3: the you know Evan, what you do is you uniquely, you know, isolate yeast strains from honey, and I guess yeah. what are the challenges of that, and like how do these operate differently or in the same way as maybe like an ale or lager yeast would and, operate? And
2: what do you do? I mean, you just put honey in your beer. I mean, tell us, uh, are you making
3: wild yeast? It's not too far
5: from that. I'm pretty rudimentary. Um, I, I'm. I'm. A, well, my wife Emily is is our beekeeper, and she. She goes in and extracts in the in the spring and in the fall, and we take a um, just a spoonful uh, of essentially of comb and honey and and propolis and all the things that are attached to a frame, and we add that to uh, unfermented uh, beer to wort and a in a stir plate and an Erlenmeyer flask. So instead of um, streaking and plating, which is a very scientific approach, what we're doing is this kind of very natural encouraging of um, what we call a mixed culture of both bacteria, wild yeast, uh, certainly certain strands of Saccharomyces. And then from that process, we're pitching that after we cool ship every one of our beers cooling in the natural process, which also adds uh, microflora, and then it will... um, all right, the beers will start out in a, a Hudson Valley oak horny tank, an open vessel for primary fermentation, where we take that yeast throughout the year. So then uh, throughout the year, there's this, this uh, evolution, this symphonic kind of movement between a um, fight of different yeasts and bacteria. So not only are the beers uh, seasonal fermentation from a fermentation perspective, but even uh, batch to batch, there, there are some differences as the year, as the seasons change.
2: And then I, I remember when I was with you a year and a half ago, you actually had your cool ship, and you, you have a way of putting it outside. And you have orchards there. and we You have, you have so much going on. You, you have more in your farm than you're telling us. Got oh, wait. Apple I'm trees holding out on you? Oh, yeah. We can go back and listen to On the
3: Road.
5: <laughs> We've got goats. <laughs>
3: <laughs> They're oh, utterly goats delightful. Too. Oh, nailed it. Yeah. The, um, uh, did, you yeah. meet, did you meet him, Josh? I've not the met goats. my... my uh, Sister-in-law does goat yoga, which is a thing now. Oh, I know. They get jump on. Wait, she really does that? Yeah, she does. Like, she teaches yoga around goats. It's like...
5: Yeah, they jump. They like to jump on the backs of
3: people, and they love... It's like a thing. Swear to God. It's a 21st century, man. Goat <laughs> yoga. <laughs> She's like, what, what I think is truly interesting, you guys have both kind of come... You know, you've come from separate backgrounds. You know, Christian did the writing, did books, did the book tour thing. Evan, you have a big music background as well, and you guys both came to sort of this... Same place right now. Do you guys feel like you made the right decision? Is a decision that <laughs> you're happy? I mean, like, because, you know, music industry, yeah. not easy to make a buck right now. Yeah. Journalism... Not easy to make a buck. So you guys feel like you got out at the right time? Oh, cratering it's so worlds?
4: easy to make a buck in breweries, right, oh, uh, Evan? My God. Oh, it's so it's, easy. Or is it just exchanging? That's, I guess <laughs>
3: like one yeah, hardship.
4: For my the Lamborghini next?
5: was stuck on the FDR. That's why you we almost just, hit me. Yeah,
4: yeah I mean, no, look, the running a brewery is no joke. It's, it's yeah. hard, hard work, and and especially when you add in a hundred or two hundred year old barn. In Evan's case, yeah, uh, you are literally, uh, and I I use the metaphor often. But it's like, you know, chasing uh, uh, or the Sisyphus sort of, you know, pushing the stone uphill, it's going to roll back over you or you're riding the wave. Some days it feels good. Other days, the waves are crashing on you and tumbling you. And you're, uh, you know, that's just the nature of the industry now. It's very competitive. We were the 169th brewery in Oregon to open up. And, uh, you know, so... um, it's, it's an exciting beer scene, but it's always changing. We don't take anything for granted. And, uh, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's an amazing change. I love Let's
2: it. Let's talk about the next beer we're drinking.
4: Oh, okay. The uh, next beer is a Dark Saison. Um, we really love this beer. Our um, brewer, Zach, brewed this about a year ago, a uh, year and a half ago, actually, quite a long time ago. He was an intern who started uh, with us before we opened. And um, so it's a more bitter Saison, some rye, um, you know, a bit, a bit of a darker, almost, you know, not really beer to guard, but, you know, a, a, a bigger profile of Saison uh, parked in barrels for quite a long time than bottle condition. And uh, this beer really took a long time to come around. The bottle conditioning was very, very slow, like three months. Uh, and, of course, it doesn't, uh, you know, help that the temperatures are our barn are, range from, you know, 50 degrees to 100 degrees. So it's, it's really... Uh, tricky to bottle condition in there, but um, this is a beer that just I I brought because uh, we don't serve it outside of the brewery, and I wanted to share it with you guys. It's not uh, something that's coming out or We're touched. No, thank you. Yes, <laughs> good, good. That was the idea. So,
2: I mean, how do you feel about you know taking your time with beer? I, I'm one show I'm going to have is with Anthony Accardi from Transmitter, and I remember sitting with him a year and a half ago, and he really thinks that beer needs more time the whole process and i think there's the there's the pressure to, to turn up beer really fast
5: well it's yeah it's certain that's a uh, perspective that's counterintuitive to the the, you know, the wave of, of beer currently, uh, about pushing out beer, in fact, designing that in a way where the consumer is is waiting outside of the door of the packaging line. But
3: people waited outside that farm stand for you guys, too.
5: I suppose, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was a long time ago, though. People <laughs> don't care anymore.
3: <laughs> but that, that's the thing. You're only, you're they only... were just waiting for my one juicy IPA. They were like, he's going to do one. I no, and be, I mean, that's the thing. You're only a darling once. And I mean, it's hard to that's always be the new kid on the block. But,
2: but still, in terms of making the beer, Mark like, like I, I like this beer. I'm, I'm impressed that it's a year later. Um, I've had a lot of ciders like that that have spent time in, in barrels without being too too big or, or onerous. Um, let's really talk about that. You know, it's like there's pressure to turn out your beer and turn it fast. But even, even a, a good pills or lager does take more time in a tank.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that most of our beers are are at the very earliest uh, three to five weeks. I mean, it's, uh, but it's not uncommon to see beers turning around in seven to 10 days, 14 days in the beer scene these days. And uh, and to my mind, there's so much uh, sort of over-aggressive hopping going on and, uh, you know, uh I, I think that those those beers are scratching a certain itch right now, and they they can be delicious. Like I will drink one. I, I will drink several sometimes. They're they're great. They can be great, but uh, there are, there's a lot of waste that goes on as well. Like when you hop a beer that heavy and crank it out in seven or ten days, you're 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 losing one two three barrels at a time just being soaked up by hops. And to me, that's just kind of like I, I, I don't know. I don't want to see that much beer, you know, kind of go down the drain for the sake of a mm-hmm. of a sort of you know, alcoholic, uh, you know, like hop bomb that is uh, really just here today, gone tomorrow. And But, but you know, to each his own. I don't judge anyone for drinking beers that are hoppy, hazy, triple hop, double IPA, whatever. Go for it, you know? Yep. Go for it. It's great. Are but you, sure? you know No, it's
3: not what... <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, that's how I really feel. No, I mean, but I, I think... Whatever. I think the thing for me is that I, I love them as well, but oftentimes these days I'm getting ones that are so kind of green, so intense right off the bat that it's kind of hard to drink, you almost have to let them age in your house for another week to kind of get to that right point right now. But there's a sort of desire right now for freshness, but I mean, there's a point where freshness is not always what you want to seek. You want maybe like another couple days this beer could really use to get that sort of optimal point.
2: Yeah, and that's why I was looking at your website today, Wolves and People uh, Christian. That's
3: a good plug, Jimmy. And to you, I was
2: inspired <laughs> by, you know, the, the tagline, ancient beers in modern times. And, you know, when I read about 19th century you know, British brewing, which at the time was the height of world class brewing, there was the market for it. There wasn't weren't the pressures of like a, a wars and depressions. They were the best beers were higher alcohol but balanced with a lot of malt in them, mm-hmm. and they also took time. These weren't beers that were were knocked out for just workers to drink, you know. So let, let's talk more about that. It's ancient beers from modern times? But th- does that mean that the better beers take time?
4: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think Evan would agree um but you know for us mixed culture fermentation is kind of our bailiwick we use a lot of wild yeast uh, uh, some conventional yeast a lot of yeast that we haven't even figured out yet um but those are going to be slower you know it's it's not like throwing in uh, you know the most aggressive clean sort of automatic yeast uh, at all times. Sometimes we do beers like that. We, we enjoy turning out a beer that's more about malt or more about hops or some other ingredient than it is about yeast. But the most interesting thing for me personally and for our for our team is uh, these beers that uh, that do take longer, that transform over time. And then particularly with bottle conditioning, uh, one of our best-known beers, Instinctive Travel, as I mentioned, is uh, we always uh, dry, uh, dry hop it differently and use a different uh, brett combination, switch it up every time. That beer... The current edition of it that we're down to a few cases, but, you know, it's been in the bottle since last March, but it's just finally hitting a place where we're like, oh, God, this beer has arrived now, uh, way later than was expected. We thought it would be hitting its prime, you know, three months ago. The hops are gone. The bread's coming. and, And I think there's a kind of sweet spot where hops can oh. fade and Brett comes up and there's a sort of, like, nexus so that you do have really to nice. You have
2: to wait on the beer. But you aging, have
3: to wait. The aging is such a... Sorry, I'm to go ahead. It's okay. Okay. No, because, yeah, aging is so kind of tough to figure out because unless you're having these variables and keeping these bottles in your basement, you can know you have it at 60 degrees only forever in a day. Right. Right. Like my mom and dad save this bottle of wine for my sister got married from the 70s and we opened it up and it was originally like a very supposed to age was like a green german wine ended up being sort of intensely like ruby red and almost port like and we're like well we yeah. missed the mark on that there's some there's, Oxygen, there's yeah. there things are not worth saving and i think we all don't really know and you need to you need to almost buy a bunch of things or even as brewers keep testing and figuring out what's the right time I would yeah. say
5: the, uh, the most beautiful thing about bottle bottle conditioning is that you're starting out at a, at a place with a lot of oxygen I- intentionally because in order for refermentation to be healthy, and uh, it is constantly consuming oxygen. Whereas a, ba- a bottle that's packaged with, that's already been pr- uh, primed with CO2 from injection, meaning that it's uh, just a, a beer that is, has been force carbonated is always going to deplete um, it's going to get more oxygen as it ages whereas bottle-conditioned beers will consume that oxygen oxygen is the biggest enemy of of aging beers um, so uh, these beers actually you know their foaminess is, is saving them and preserving them and, and that, that could be a rule of thumb and i mean there's many Different ways of tasting beer and storing beer, but if a beer is bottle conditioned, you can hang on to it for much longer, interst- and, and, and uh, versus a, a, a beer that's been, um,
3: you know, I don't know, injected by CO two. We know. know even even <laughs> to go back to sort of commercially produced beers that um, I always go by. People are like, oh, what should I buy? If middle of nowhere, but Sierra Nevada. Has such low levels dissolved oxygen in all their beers and they bottle condition everything that beer is almost guaranteed beautiful no matter what so even doing bottle conditioning for mass-produced stuff can work out in a big way
2: right hey we'll take another short break we'll be back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right
0: i don't go in for understanding when you are away can't use my heart to think away the time in my room i will await you and so soon i will relate you and tie your finger right on up to mine
4: Sweet hey
1: like what you hear heritage radio network has plenty more with fresh programming every week we've got something for everyone trying to start your own food business concerned about where your food comes from looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter.
2: Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, wolves and people are in New York City. Christian. Great. You brought your buddy, farmhouse buddy.
5: We've got bees Evan. and wolves and, and Josh <laughs> Bernstein. So
2: Bernstein, and a bear. <laughs> Bernstein bear. I love that. I love that series, especially <laughs> bear Bernstein bears. And they're but really Christian yes. now. And honey. What's a honey? There's a honey Not board Jewish. that that you guys met through. Yeah. I want you guys to ask questions Like the like, we're at the honey board, and you guys are farmhouse <laughs> brewers. You guys are like figuring out sure. how you guys make better beer. It's a sticky situation,
3: Jimmy. Oh my it, word. Sicky situation, nice. Uh, Well, we, you know, I will say this like, (laughs) thank you,
4: John. We want to bring a lot of honey into our situation, and we're so we're talking to a local beekeeper or two that want to park some hives at our place. And the thing that's really cool about honey in Oregon is, you know, there are many kinds of honey, wild and and, uh, indigenous honeys, clover, uh, blackberry honeys are everywhere, but the thing in Oregon that grows is called meadow foam. And foam. do you remember tasting that yeah, it was at that? Crazy. It was like a crazy, I don't know how to put it into words. It was almost like yeah. a, a tropical uh, suite of aromas going on. And uh, everyone at the tasting that we attended yeah, like were kind of nodding definitely. in agreement, like, this is blowing our minds right now. And lo and behold, meadowfoam is the Oregon, you know, is an Oregon thing or Pacific Northwest thing. So uh, I'm trying to track down meadowfoam growers. We're going to plant it at our in our field. We have a Field that's mainly full full of daffodils. I'm gonna to try to interplant some with some meadow foam and uh, and see what happens. You know, there are bees already uh, in the area, but getting a hive going, getting some meadow foam going will be will be a goal.
2: And let's just clarify. So when we're talking about honey and beer, like last night, Fifth Hammer, Chris Kuzme's beer it was a honey brown ale. It's not sweet. What what does the honey do? I mean, it can do what?
5: Well, you know, there are a lot of ways to use honey. Obviously, I'm I'm culturing yeast from honey, which is, is a not very common way, but uh, honey is a sugar and it's a relatively simple sugar. Um, it's easy fermentable, so I, I mean, people hear the word honey and they think sweet. You think the
2: golden taste of honey and that screws up your, your conception of honey. What's Some that, That's the, the golden, it's the Cheerio song. Oh, <laughs> I'm well trying you, to sing with Evan one well day. Well, your
5: voice was so golden and honey-like. Okay. Golden taste of honey. Nailed it. Uh Speed yeah. That's my little honey. <laughs> yeah. We uh yeah, I mean people use it generally as as um an adjunct for fermentation. And and, and it will ferment and we looked you remember uh, watching those fascinating <laughs> charts about like sugars uh, sh- and and how much is gen- is fermentable, and how much maltose, how much sucrose, how much fructose is. and honey and, and you know, honey uh works as a drying agent much like many people used to use now the only sugar used in an ipa is apparently lactose sugar but people used to use actual uh refined sugar to dry out ipas to to build alcohol and, and keep out of the way of a malt base to accentuate hops that's what happens in a west coast ipa but the um Honey it can be used in a similar way, and, and, and it, it has a has a flavor. When fermented out, it's more like a mead, more like um, um, more floral and medicinal than it is like sweet and cloying to me. Um, and we do because we harvest honey. We do a certain amount of beers that both are fermented with a yeast derived from honey and have a certain amount of honey from our hives. Honey's just a
2: it's a special property. It's it's like it's not like a refined sugar. It's a natural product. Yeah. It's good for you. There's magic to it's it. It's the
5: only thing that insects make that I love to eat <laughs> that I put in my coffee.
2: Oh, uh, you
4: don't enjoy the fruit flies of fall? No. Well, yeah. Or uh, a
5: cockroach spit. <laughs> tried that Ooh, one. Oh,
4: that's <laughs> uh.
3: remembered. i oh. am tell you a story about how we spent uh three months when we were twenty two drinking an espresso machine filled with cockroaches. What? And then we didn't realize that <laughs> the cockroaches like had snuck into the uh, oh espresso God. machine. Did McKeller
2: make a beer like that? It was like the
3: digested <laughs> one day. That was Civic Cat. Civic which, Cat, which, yeah, right, right. That Different animal or- was digested. You're getting your you're getting your oh, confused, <laughs> Jimmy. So. Oh my God, yeah. I don't even know what's happening with these sounds yeah, It's, the it's like where I'm laughing. Oh, I know. <laughs>
2: but we also know we I mean this is weird, but we know that in our flour, that there's there's some amount of insects in all in all food Hubs. production and everything. So but you guys, yeah. when you're doing your farmhouse, the open yes. the open fermentations, the cool sure. ships. So there is an interaction with insects. It's not yeah. like this pure sterile environment, but that's good. Like we need the insects.
5: Well, yeah. I mean the the any agriculture is, is predicated on the existence of of insects that can that can pollinate, right? There at one point in time on this earth there was there weren't pollinators, so there weren't there wasn't a diversity of plant life, I assume, right? It was just like mushrooms. <laughs> just mycelia. But, uh, but, yeah, the existence of pollinators, which aren't just bees, but bees do a great job, and they also make honey, which is amazing. Um, but that's what creates all kinds of uh, flora. And, and inside of, of that hive, you're, they're carrying pollen, which, which carries microflora. And there's a great tradition of natural mead making, just diluting honey. Arguably, the first uh, fermented beverage was a was a hive in a tree that was flooded, and it just naturally fermented. It, we talked about that, I in believe. The Bear I Reaches. love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Bear Reaches.
2: Although Pete Brown, his new book, Miracle Brew... He argues that actually a long time ago people figured out how to somehow mash or or malt grain.
5: Certainly, but I, we're I guess we were saying I'm just saying that because I know we were saying with that <laughs> the trunk uh, uh, anecdote with a bear or something it was pre you know pre hominid.
2: I always I thought that it's like the origin story of alcohol. I always thought that too. They would tell you know the or the the deer would be eating a, a fermented apple you know off the floor sure well
4: i love the michael Pollan uh line which, which is uh to to summarize it very uh, imperfectly i'm sure but that we're all kind of working for the yeast you know that yeast is really in charge of uh, uh of the world and all of its processes and we're just sort of like furthering yeast's. uh uh, survival through baking and brewing, um, but at the, at the end of the day, we're just the ones working. They're the ancient single-cell organism that's going to be here in millions of years. So it's
3: pollinators and yeasts. Fer- I mean fermentation. I mean you talk about everything. We you know kimchi. We talk about beer. You talk about whatever sake. I mean it's all yeast driving it. All. It's what
5: kept us alive. It's what kept civilizations alive, is fermenting their foods and preserving foods. So
4: with you guys, there's no bacteria that can live in honey though, right? And That's why a a, a jar of honey can live, like, can be stable. It's
5: antibacterial, it's antimicrobial, but it doesn't necessarily mean when diluted. So what happens is, Uh, in high concentration, just like salt, a high concentration of sugar will make everything static, which doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that it can't grow. Right, okay. so through the dilution of that honey, uh, you you can get to a point in which there's still these organisms, uh, microorganisms that come from honey that can be bacteria that can survive and thrive within within honey that are from a particular bee or whatever that can grow. And I mean, we're picking up bacteria obviously from the coolship and, and and the oak, everything. I don't I ferment everything in oak, so I mean, there's uh, there's bacteria, but in theory the, from that, I've never plated it because I have this. I'm just a romantic. Let's, let's catch up a minute. Uh, I like that.
2: Evan, on your beer. So yes, we sir. have, what, first the barn yeah, beer. Yeah, we
5: poured the barn beer. Oh, and this is going to be a talking point for the both of us. I'm sorry, Josh. I feel like you've been etched down. Okay,
3: I know. I don't have any honey, even though I am the bee's knees. <laughs> <laughs> I think they had their finger on the button waiting uh, for me to say like a word. As soon as you say
5: something. <laughs> <laughs> David's professional engineer. Um, Thank you, David. Th- uh the other beers I brought I brought our summer beer which that might be a pretty active one. Um, we did a, we have a CSA similar uh to Christians um and this year we did adjuncts just from the farm that represented the farm at a particular time. So the darker beer I poured is our winter beer that was uh, uh dark farmhouse beer slightly tart with uh chocolate mint we grew and and rye barrels from a, mint, yeah. a, a friend and, um, it's kind of like an Andy's mint, that one, and this one that you guys are pouring is our summer beer, which uh we grew black uh blacktail watermelons and apple and strawberry and mint. I don't know if that's <laughs> that good, I don't know. I haven't had it forever. I hope it's good that's good. But it, they're representative of, of of the different seasons on the farm. We did four different seasons. In autumn, we grew this heirloom maize, bloody ble- butcher, and blue claridge and Reed's yellow dent, and used uh, Long Island cheese pumpkins that we grew and toasted coriander that we grew.
3: What's that cheese pumpkin?
5: It sounds
3: delicious.
5: <laughs> it's, you know, a bread bowl from Panera? Uh huh. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's just a pumpkin that that uh, looks like a cheese wheel on the exterior. It has kind of a waxy coating, mm-hmm. and it's like that orange yellow. And it, it's f- it's the, formed the Great in that
2: New York pumpkin that the flesh is what pumpkin pie was about. It kind of got yeah because it's it's, it's, it's the, misshapen, so it doesn't work well with commodity production. Doesn't roll down our conveyor mm-hmm. belt. Yeah, there's it, some uh-huh. seed savers on Long Island that are
5: it's it's a, it promoted. grew amazingly, and it, and we still have some. And it was—it's uh, a
3: delicious pumpkin. It looks it's like a big, giant wheel of cheese I've
5: ever eaten.
3: So what, what Evan's kind of talking about is that in the I think the Hudson Valley, you have got this sort of like this number of breweries are really embracing the local bounty and bringing sort of this idea of um, agrarian brewing back to New York State. So Christian, you know what's happening in Oregon as well? What what type of things are you seeing out there? Too? do you find sort of I see in New York State you have a lot of like-minded people together that are really. Um, coalescing because you have, you know, sloop brewing, you've got, uh, you know, Suarez, people are really sort of thinking about how New York State can be embodied in their beer. So do you see things like that happening around you in Oregon?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that um, for farmhouse brewing, you know, from our perspective, things are, you know, we're really just kind of standing on the shoulders of, of giants because of Logston. Uh, you know, a, an inter- international reputation for farmhouse brewing uh started in hood river and then agrarian down uh near eugene great brewery we're only the third farmhouse brewery that i can really think of uh that is on an active and working farm But what you have now, uh, like um, in many places, is a move towards micro maltings, uh, towards Oregon-grown grains, Um, Oregon State University uh, kind of getting behind a lot of uh, uh, seed culture and seed, uh, you know, uh, growing programs. And uh, we're not quite there yet. I mean, there's a long way to go. We don't have maltings in the Willamette Valley yet. We would love to see that. I'm very uh, jealous of all the maltings that are going on up in Washington and New York other parts of the country where there are people working on it Uh, our maltings uh, and uh, the local barley that we're getting is from eastern Oregon and uh, we're not able to use it full time yet but it's there's some really good stuff coming out and I I would say the conversation in Oregon is all over the map and we have so many breweries so many trends uh, moving at once Portland obviously driving the scene with almost 100 breweries in the city Um, but things are changing there as well so I would say we're just really glad to be part of a, a kind of farm to, you know, fermenter movement that is, um, you know, really focus on local, as local as possible when we can and, uh, and, and pushing those relationships and developing those relationships.
3: So do you say do you guys see yourself as more part of the broader conversation of farmhouse brewing in America and around the world or more about sort of indicative of uh, Oregon and like how you can take... This and that.
4: Well, oh gosh. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really feel like we're still a small and local brewery. The fact we're sending beer out to the East Coast is very exciting for us and means that we're, we're the first time we're selling beer outside of the state of Oregon or really outside of the Willamette Valley. So, and again, that's just because I love, uh, love New York City.
2: Let's talk about distributing locally. Okay. So who do you sell to in your area? You, t- you mentioned small restaurants.
4: So, yeah, restaurants. One of the things we have coming up this year is uh, we, a lot of collaborations with local chefs. I would personally, I love food. My wife loves food. We're, we grew up in uh, food-loving families, and Portland's food scene is a, is world-class. It's, it's an incredible situation right now. Uh, and going for many, many years. So, you know, James Beard was from Portland. And uh, so it's no surprise that the scene there is amazing. So one of the things I've been working on is like these collaborations with local chefs uh, for 2018, which are uh, a bunch of uh, different beers where the chef is really going to sort of nudge us in in a certain direction. So one of the chefs I love working with is a guy named Peter Cho. His restaurant, Hanok, is uh, absolutely blowing up and uh, known across the country now. He's a Korean family, and he and his Wife and kids live above the restaurant. And he and I, 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 uh, I gave him some beer for an event, and he liked it so much, we started talking about a collaboration. And now we want to make a, a sort of toasted rice lager of some kind, uh, which is not really a farmhouse-style beer, but it's going to be, uh, you know, something that we can present, hopefully, to you know, to his guests. And then we started thinking about, what else can we do? And, you know, we have these kind of kooky, uh, you know, experiments in mind. But beyond that, we're working with other chefs that are uh, doing incredible work in Portland to, you know, build the scene. And I, so I, I envision a lot of work with restaurants as well. I, I just think beer is a great food pairing.
2: And you said something about being the third handle. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd that rather
4: be... That was a be, great quote, but I don't... Well, what I meant is that, you know, there are so many amazing beer bars in the world, right? You can go in, beer bars, bottle shops, with thousands of choices, an overwhelming choice. But for me personally, I guess I would rather be the, the third handle in a, in a nice little restaurant than the 1,000th beer in a bottle shop, which may or may not get the attention that we
2: hope it deserves. Cheers to that. And that's the yeah, kind of place great. I would like to go. What about you, Evan, for... Places that Are you selling in New York now, too? I mean, yeah, we for-
5: do our, our barn beer, our little barn beer we had uh, at first. And, uh, through Union and CVG, we, we distribute that down in the city and some in Massachusetts as well. Uh, I just think it's like a good calling card. I mean, we both Christian and I are, are dependent on people coming to the space because that's the experience, um, and if you make good beer like he does... And hopefully, like we do, it, it uh, you know it gets people to, to make the track up from the city and and come up to the farm and sit by the fire and and wash their hair the next morning in the shower and smell a little bit of that fire and remember that. So it, it just helps us get uh, you know it magnetizes people to to the farm and to the brewery uh, and it functions as that more. More than it functions in any capacity as a uh, money, as a revenue stream. We're trying; to, we're definitely um, on-site consumption first as a, as a place because that's what we're building this experience, not just a uh,
3: not just a beer. Yeah. Do you, Do you think it helps to being so close to population centers like you're close to New York City, where you've got eight and a half million, nineteen million metro, sixty million tourists a year? Christian being so close to Portland, Oregon. And do you find that this sort of proximity to giant metropolitan areas really helps make this business vision of people wanting to get out on the weekend, do something different, and go up there? Of course. Yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget our second weekend when uh, I had I'd made some calls to the local wine tour operators. To be like, you know can't really deal with the long like you know giant buses full of wine tourists we can't have anyone intoxicated you know we're trying to keep things on un- under wraps our second weekend someone goes you better go outside dude and uh i walk out there and there was a pink humvee uh you know limo like was a 40 fl- carton was yeah, he? No. <laughs> does he have a pink <laughs> I'm humvee just kidding, no. it was uh but it was like a pink humvee limousine full full of people just spilling out of the you know and so like Okay, that that's some that's a reality of being in wine country and being close to a major city where like there are things happening there's tourism happening, you know, people fly helicopters to wineries now in the Oregon wine country. That's not our scene. You know, we're we're not doing that, but I think that it does help to go back to what Josh said. Is we definitely draw from a Portland from the Portland market, but our bread and butter and our local fans are are what keeps the lights on, and we appreciate that.
2: Well, let's go through just review the beers that we we've tasted so that we keep track. So, Evan, just again, I
3: brought a I brought a barn beer. Barn, I, it's like the national honey board for me. <laughs> barn beer. Barn beer. Barn beer.
4: <laughs> yeah, so like, sound like Sam? Uh, what's his name? Sam uh, uh, Water? Yeah, yeah, Waterson. Waterson. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Or though, that's
5: the guy from. No, I, okay. What were the beers you brought, Christian? And, <laughs> and this one, though. What's this one? Oh, and we brought our winter and our and yeah. Our, I so, brought this our
2: winter, winter, so this talking about, I wanted to say this, okay. talking about this kind of dark beer, it, there's the hint of whatever mint. It, it reminds me of a very Belgian beer years ago. Um, it's a Belgian San Diego collaboration, had this kind of taste, where it was oh, dark base. I don't know if that's a compliment. Don't like, some, it's like chewing winter mint, winter mint gum while drinking it's a, a yeah, double. No, this, it's an this, Andy's this mint. This, this is, is a, right uh, up. This yeah, is the kind of winter beer that I would like to drink. Again, it's
5: the Plan B What So I, I'm re- I like this beer. I don't like all my beers or most of them. I'm very critical. But I don't I, either, man. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it.
2: Give me some with fruit floating in yeah. it. How about that?
5: There you go. Um, yeah, but this winter beer... I kind of like, but I feel like you would have to present it as like your Swiss great grandmother would bring it as some kind of like, this isn't no, beer. It's
2: like the La Mise, It's okay. Green Flash and St. Okay, whatever. Every year they do a collaboration. We Going can, way back, classic Belgians making beer in America right. came out like this, and that's a compliment to you.
5: So thank you. So this could yeah, be man.
4: like, you know, stored in a cask around the St. Bernard's. That's neck, what I was I think, saying. Like,
5: like it's not beer. They're just like, oh, what do you make it from? They're like, we squeeze dirt and. And mint together. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, Christian, for
2: you to just re- review the beers that you brought.
4: Yeah, so we brought an a Instinctive Travel Saison aged in ransom gin barrel. So that beer is going to come to life in February, we hope. We're, we're packaging it next week. And uh, the bottle we we had here is a bit of a pilot for that. Um, the other beer was a dark Saison that we uh, anecdotally just call VP4, but it is, um, you know, it's about a, a, a sort of almost like a Flanders red. Uh, style if you will that kind of like you know a little tannic a little woody red it's a little bitter and a lot sour on um, the something we really enjoy and a beer that I w- as I was saying before uh, shows just how long sometimes you have to wait for a beer you know like three months of bottle conditioning and we're just gonna wait and, until it's ready
5: will these be in New York uh, in New no New York?
4: G- well gin synctive yep uh, that will uh, so I hope good. make it out here I love that beer Thank and then beer. Josh on the Thank way
2: in we were we were joking about you know, what what you'd recommend for Thanksgiving or a holiday dinner, but I think a couple of these these two darker winter beers would I would take them over many other beers.
3: Would you, Jimmy? I would. <laughs> would you take them over?
5: Well, I don't know. Name, name. Oh, that's that green flash beer you <laughs> was a, talking about. Of <laughs> pills or, you know. I I do
2: think I, one thing I love about this show, especially with the holidays coming, and people talk about pairings, you know, for food, there's not a lot of real uh, good pairings for beer in the holidays. And, yeah, I think
3: any beer goes well with the holidays. Good yeah, God.
2: But you want you want to say that. You want to <laughs> say pills and IPA that everyone's drinking. But what mm-hmm. I'm saying is th- these two kind of darker sure. you know, fall winter styles that have some you know life to them. These are the kind of beers that I would drink at my holiday but table. But I think, I
3: think with the holidays we were talking about and going back to is the fact you have more time to contemplate and just sit back. And these are beers you need in your cup. You have a good few seconds with them. You think about them and you're not just like ordering one after the other. That's why these beers work well in the holidays. It's not really about flavor profiles. Yeah. I think I'm really against saying this beer is only good in the summer and this beer is only good in the winter. It's really it's really when you want to drink this beer, drink, drink yeah. this beer. And so I think these beers really... If you've got time, you can think about them, and that's what's really important about these beers. Because not every beer should be sort of like you know, fifteen minutes pint down, glass over glass. Well, filled. also
2: because once you know you're with certain relatives, and you you're, you learn to hold your tongue. <laughs> so yeah. you better have can, s- a beer Jamie, like can this to hold keep, you hold it, your yeah. tongue. Here. I've really, it's been a long. Long process, but I need a beer like this for my Christmas
3: table. When your relatives start you. talking about creationism, you're just gonna break out the bourbon. Oh, uh, maybe
2: much more about how bad Jimmy is and kind of behavior I have at the table. But. <laughs> oh,
4: well, the thing I love about this beer, Evan, is like it tastes like Fernet, and I sure, a little yeah. bit, if I may say, um, Fernet is kind of my go-to aperitif or you know digestif beer you know, or drink you know is after a big dinner. Yeah, that no, no it kidding. was not. Deejay Steve drink after after a hey, big meal. Beef.
2: And last thing, so Christian, you're here in New York. Evan, a couple places in New York that you really liked going to for our listeners.
4: Oh, well, yeah, I love, you know, the Blind Tiger. Um, you know, we dropped uh, some samples off at Proletariat, and we're, we're getting samples over to a lot of great beer bars, so as is. You mentioned and, as is um, on the west side. Yeah. And uh, dropped a sample at 11 Madison Park just to see what happens. You know, maybe they'll like it, maybe they won't. But, um, you know, we're we're trying to be in a few good spots where people really care about beer, and we visited Threes today. That was super cool. I hadn't been out there before on so, yeah, it's nice to be back. I think we're, you know, we don't make very much beer. So if we can, if we can be in five or six great New York spots, that would be real And awesome. you guys
2: have time to stay and have a pizza with me at Roberta's?
3: I think we you could. You,
2: all right. Josh, anything else you want to say? Any- don't you have a book coming you out? Yeah, uh, Jimmy didn't things- even talk
3: about my book at all, but it's okay. <laughs> What's I know. You know. I got a new book called it. Homebrew World, where basically the world does any other book about how to homebrew. But what I really love is the people, passion, creativity, struggle. And the book is sort of based upon these homebrew tours I've done in New York City, where you go inside people's kitchens, you go into their backyards, go into their basements and you're drinking beer with them. So what I did was it's a series of profiles of brewers from a, a colonel in the Thai army trying to create a homebrew revolution in Thailand, the people in Poland using smoked herring, the people in Patagonia using indigenous hops. And It's really about the people and how they're kind of creating their own revolution and their own scenes all around the world right now. So I just went to the printer last week, and it's uh, going to be dropping in April. Sounds awesome. Awesome. And we'll have you
2: back Congrats. on and talk more
3: about it. Yes, we'll yeah. talk about that, Jimmy. And then how many? <laughs> yeah. And then we can talk about all
2: your friends who started out with your homebrew tours who are now pro brewers too. That's oh,
3: you know.
2: big shout out. So again, uh, you brought in Rockaway Brewing beer to start, and he started as a home brewer. Who's the brewer there now?
3: Uh, Ray Gerard's head brewer there, and uh, Zavi is sort of the uh, second in command, and they're both great New York City homebrewers. And I think it's like a coda about this: like New York City doesn't have a lot of people that came from elsewhere to make their mark. What we have going in New York City and New York State is brewers that grew up here in the homebrew scene, and they decide to take a risk and make their city a better place to drink. And you see that around New York City, Hudson Valley, Long Island, that it's all homegrown here, and very little sort of um, mercenaries with five million bucks that are just like, I'm going to make beer people want to buy. Wow, man. This
2: has been a great show. Big thanks to Josh Bernstein, Christian Benedetti, Evan Watson for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributor, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. And a big shout-out, everybody's been a supporter of me and uh, Jimmy's number 43. We're figuring things out for, for next year, but keep listening to the show. we got some great holiday shows coming up. The next two weeks, and uh, big shout out to our producer Justin Kennedy, engineer David Tadashore. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, woo, woo! buddies, yeah, cool.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network.